Well, welcome to week three of Money Talks. We're having a series of talks on money because whether you knew it or not, your money is talking about you. I know, talking about money in church, uh, it's uncomfortable sometimes. It, it's, it's personal. But it's important to talk about because God says a lot about money. And when we start to practice what God says about money, then our money starts to say God-like things about you and I. Our money starts to say godly things about you and I. We learned right off the very beginning, and we've kind of repeated each and every week, that our money is more than just something that's personal. It's giving us feedback. It's giving the world a window to evaluate the things that we value. Other people can see who you are from the way that you handle your resources. It's a window for you to see what you want deep down in your heart, and it's a window that the world can look into to see what you really want in your heart. So let's recap. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about being generous. And why should we be generous? We learn from the richest man, the wisest man that's ever lived aside from Jesus. That when we're generous, we literally save lives. You and I become a lifesaver. The gift that we give may not seem like much to us, but the person that receives it, might, it might actually be saving their life. And last week, we talked about saving. Ah, oh, who wants to talk about saving, right? But we talked about the principle of looking at our savings as our first expense. That the very first thing we spend on is saving. Why? Because saving puts us on a path to influence, to opportunity. It puts us on the path to freedom. It gives us opportunities, whereas the alternative puts us in chains. And we see that, right? If you save early on in life, you have options when it comes to the end of life. But if you don't, you rely on friendships, family, and the generosity of others just to make ends meet. You feel like you are trapped bound by what those other people dictate to you. So the choice is ours. Which one do we want to have? Do we want to have that kind of influence and freedom later on in life, or do we want to be enslaved to those who help us out financially? And while we've talked about those two things, we've had a question that we've been asking all the series, and that is this. What is your money saying about you today? No judgment, but honestly... What is your money telling you about you today? And the information that it's telling you, what it's saying about you, to you, is it giving you peace or is it giving you stress? The whole goal of this series is that if you feel stressed the way your money talks to you, then we want to help you move to find peace. So let's jump into today. One of the things that I have felt over the course of my life, over 47 years, is that I have often felt like I didn't have enough money. 
right? I've often felt like there's just not enough. I have goals, I have dreams, I have things that I want to do, and there's just not enough money. Have you ever felt like that? Ever felt like there's just not enough? I think most people feel like at some point we just didn't have enough. And last week we talked about a fascinating CNBC article that said the cost of middle-class living, the cost of a middle-class lifestyle has risen 30% over the last 20 years. It's 30% more expensive to live a middle-class lifestyle today than it was 20 years ago. And part of that challenge, we never got into this much. We said we kind of flesh this out a little more, but part of the challenge is it feels like it's more difficult to get more, right? It's more difficult to get ahead. It's more difficult to keep up with the cost of living. And it seems like the rich are the ones who are getting richer. Is that true? It is. Statistically, we can back that up. According to Pew Research, the gap of income equality has exploded over the last 50 years. From 1970 to 2018, the income for low-income families went from $20,000 a year to $28,000 a year. $8,000. The income for middle-class families went from $58,100 to $86,600 a year, which is an increase of $28,500. But income for upper-class families went from $126,000 to $207,400. That's an increase of $81,400. So let me recap those numbers. I'm not trying to throw spreadsheets at you, but let me recap those numbers. From 1970 to 2018, the income for low income families went up $8,000. The income for middle-class families in that same period went up $28,500. And the income for upper-class families went to $81,400. The more you have, the more you got. The rich keep getting richer. The poor have a hard time digging their way, moving their way, building their way out of poverty. And according to the Stanford Center on Poverty and Equality, there's actually some very interesting statistics statistics on why that happens. College graduates have experienced growth in median weekly earnings since 1979, but high school dropouts have seen their real median weekly earnings decline by 22%. In other words, the new way to get ahead is to have a degree. That seems to be having a grassroots pushback where people are saying, live your dream, you don't need a college degree to do it, But that doesn't change the statistics. That you don't have a college degree, the odds of you increasing your median income on a weekly basis diminishes rapidly. A high school degree isn't enough in order to see an increase in wealth statistically. And if you're a high school dropout, the odds are that you will lose money over the course of your life. Your income will go down. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm saying that's statistically what it is. 
And if you're a woman, it's harder. Until the 1970s, women made 60% of what the average man earned. Now, it's changed a little bit. It grew to 80% over the next couple of decades, but it stayed at 80% since 2005. So that's 16 years now. If you're a woman in the workforce, you're earning, on average, 80% of what a man would earn in the exact same position. I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that's what is. If you're not white, your income is affected. Race has created roadblocks in the labor market. There was an experiment carried out in Chicago and Boston during 2001 and during 2002 that proved that resumes with white-sounding names, whether male or female, were much more likely to receive a callback interview than with those who had black-sounding names, even though the resumes were otherwise identical. And if you're not leading an organization, if you're just working for a company, (laughs) your income has not risen as much as the CEO's has. In 1965, a CEO made 24 times the average production worker. And I'm a believer that the burden of leadership deserves reward. There's a biblical principle that says, uh, reward your elders, reward those who lead you, uh, especially those whose uh, role in your life is preaching and teaching. Do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. So I agree. Leadership does deserve more more compensation. Leading is hard. However, CEOs in 1965 made 24 times the average production worker. CEOs in 2009 made 185 times the average production worker. And it's only increased since then. The numbers vary as to what it might be, but it's somewhere between 200 and 350% at the time of this message in 2021. A leader is getting, getting over 300% more than the average worker. Feels like the lower you are on the income bracket, the harder it is to get ahead in life. Financially, the harder it is. And the root of this great disparity in wealth seems to all center around the idea of fairness, right? You take all of these issues, all of these things about having college degree or not, what gender you are, what race, what's the color of your skin, what's the sound, what does your name sound like? And whether you're a CEO or whether a worker, I think the difference is, it seems like it's wrapped around this idea of fairness, This isn't fair, and we should somehow legislate something that makes everything fair. The problem with that concept, and I'm all for rules that help us have a fair and just society, the problem with that uh, that idea is that it doesn't deal with the real root of what's going on. What if 
fairness isn't the issue. You and I, we love to live by fairness. We think fairness is a good thing, right? When, it, when we were going to the kids' parties as kids, do you remember that? You wanted to make sure that your piece of cake was exactly the same size as the other kid's piece of cake, and you would look at the other kid's cake or their cupcakes just to make sure that they weren't getting more icing. You were getting a fair piece of the cake, so to speak, right? You would want that. You would, you would make sure that that happened. And, you know, maybe the birthday boy or girl, well, you know, they can have just a little bit more, but not too much. Because fairness mattered and it was taught, you were taught as a child that fairness mattered. And Jesus said, fair's great, but God's not fair. If God was fair, then he never would have asked Jesus to give up what was his and surrender it to everyone else and take on the sin of the world while he gave up his righteousness. Gosh, that sounds like socialism to me. Where the leader of the universe tells someone, give up what's yours and share it with everyone else. I always like that one because every time I say that God has a socialist piece to him, that uh, it always gets me the most amount of emails. And I'm going on vacation in a couple of weeks, so you can send them to tracy.cornell at Trinity. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't, don't send those things. My point is, and I want you to hear this really clearly, fairness is not a spiritual attribute. It is a human one. Fairness is designed for external laws and rules to make sure that everyone at least has something from the table. But God has something better. He says that the issue of income disparity, of wealth disparity, is not an issue of fairness. It is something else. Would you like to see what it is? Would you like to know what it is? Thank you. At least two people want to know what it is, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, the, the dozens and, you know, tens of people that are watching on our uh, online stream are saying, yes, tell us what it is. If you have a Bible with you, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Because there Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, that fairness is not the issue. That it's not something that's out there that has to be legislated, but something in here, in you and I, that needs to be transformed. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13, we read this. Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who ordered me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, to all of them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This is such an amazing beginning of a story and it's actually in the middle of three things in a story I'd encourage you to read uh, Luke 12 out on your back deck today Uh, dads I encourage you to do that while you get your kids to mow the lawn and make all the meals it'll be awesome now what's happening in this story Jesus is actually warning the crowds about the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of the Pharisees is that they're teaching 
the teaching of the Pharisees is something that they don't actually practice themselves. And the things that they're asking you to do don't produce the kinds of things that you want in your life. And the reason he was telling his disciples that was because people were so insistent on seeing each other that if you read back a few verses to 12 verse 1, it says that people were trampling each other to get to Jesus. I don't see that a lot in church anymore. I don't see people trampling each other to get to the front of the auditorium or the kids like jumping on mom and dad's bed. We got to get to church. We got to get to live stream. We got to get, you know, we got to participate. I want the best seat on the couch. And you know, they're not, they're not doing that. We don't, we don't do that. But could you imagine how strange it would be for a group of Christ followers to trample each other to get what they want? No, wait, it's not hard to imagine that because that's why we have church fights. We trample on each other to get what we want. And so Jesus says, listen, there's a lot of freedom when you follow me. Don't listen to the yeast of the Pharisees. And he's having this great message. And someone puts up their hand and Jesus goes, yes, what's your question? And the guy says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I'm pretty sure Jesus, if he had a Bible, would have taken it at this point and just gone, and I'm off. I'm out. I'm done. I am not. Like, he's, he's frustrated. And the ironic thing here in this passage is that Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, says, who appointed me as your judge? You have it within you. To understand what's happening. You don't need me to make things fair. And then he tells everyone. Watch out. Watch out. Against all kinds of greed. The problem's not fairness, Jesus says. The problem is greed. And there are all kinds of greed. There's a kind of greed that sneaks up on you that we adopt, that we say is a good thing and we want it and it should be enforced in our society. And we know this. Was this a bad request? Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What's wrong with that request? Nothing. Nothing's wrong with that request. This is a perfectly logical thing to do. Over my time as a pastor, I've had the misfortune of having to uh, sit with families who are quarreling over an inheritance. And while we're trying to plan a funeral service, a memorial service for a loved one that's passed away, someone's bringing up, you know, dad's tools in in the garage saying, you know, you're taking all of them. You're not sharing or someone else is saying, you know, you're, not, you're taking mom's china. You're not giving any of that to me. You're just taking it all for you. And I want to have some of that. That's not fair. I've talked to families who have struggled through inheritance disagreements. This seems and feels logical. This feels like what a just society would do. Let's do things fair in the world. But Jesus calls this a path to greed. A path that is fair, but pharisaical. It's where you could end up getting what you want, and it will end up costing you more than you realize. Wow. How do we guard against the kind of greed that can cost us 
more than we know? How do we guard against the kind of greed that moves us to fairness? I just want what's fair and mine. How do we do that? How do we guard against that? Well, Jesus tells a story, as he often does. He tells a story. He says, uh, he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, well, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you, what's the word? Fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Next week, we're going to finish our series, and we're going to talk about how do we be rich towards God. But here's what you need to catch from this story that Jesus told. The greed that leads us to a place where we legislate fairness is the greed that assumes that all money is a blessing of God to us, not a blessing of God through us. This kind of greed is the greed that assumes anytime God blesses us, it's a gift to us, not a gift through us. Be on guard with how you think about others with when God gives extra. That's the start of greed. So Jesus says, flip that. Start with thinking about any time you receive extra, any time God blesses, you begin to think, what is it that God wants me to do with this? What is God's plan for this? This rich man had a plan that he would take life easy. I like that plan. That sounds like a great plan. If I would, if my wife was all of a sudden offered a giant severance package from uh, U of R, from the Cancer Research Center, and they said, listen, we're downsizing everything and we're buying out employees. We want to give you this sizable, many, many, many digits severance package. Uh, and Chris came home as we did the math and we went, look at the difference this is going to make with our life. We can move to a one-income family. We can make all sorts of different choices. Look at all the things we can do. We can rest. We can take it easy. We can enjoy the life that God has given us. The blessing is for us. And God says, you forgot just one slight thing. You don't know how long you have. And when you're gone... You don't get to control where that goes. So while you're here, start with thinking, gosh, where can I really make a difference? 
with the blessings that God gives. And that starts by thinking, is this a blessing from God that's meant for us? No. This is a blessing from God that's meant to pass through, to go through us, for us to bless others. Always start with that question when extra comes. When you get that raise that you didn't expect or the raise that you hoped you were going to get. When you get the year-end bonus. When you get that Christmas gift. When you get that inheritance. When you go to the New York State website that says, hey, the government may owe you a little bit of money and check in, put in your information and all of a sudden there's a little bit coming in. When you go into your golf bag and you pull out $20 that you didn't know was there, that you forgot was there. Instead of thinking, the Lord has blessed me, start by thinking, does the Lord want me to bless someone else? with the blessing that he's given. That is the way God works. That is why we ask you to tithe. That is why we ask you to give to the GCF. Not because God needs your money, not because we need your money, but you need to give so you get that opportunity to partner with what God is doing. Jesus would go on and he would talk about how you don't have to worry when you give to the things of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's all at the end of Luke 12. You have been given the kingdom. Little flock. You don't have to worry when you give to the things of God first. And that includes when you get extra. Instead of starting with, is this a blessing for me? Ask God, is this supposed to be a blessing through me? I've been waiting a long time to tell the story of Dan Price. I don't know if you know his story. If you do, you can't help but smile because of the way that he's made a difference. I learned of Dan Price last year uh, through the podcast that I participate in, uh, shameless plug by the way, it's it's a crosstalk uh, podcast. Our whole goal is to help people to bring the Bible to life into their lives, so that the Bible isn't just interesting information, but amazing transformation. There was an episode there that mentioned the story of Dan Price, and if you don't know Dan Price, let me introduce you to him. It was late 2011. Jason Haley was a 32-year-old phone tech earning $35,000 a year, and he was in a sour mood. His employer, Dan Price, had, noted it, had noticed it, and when he spotted Haley outside on a smoking break, he approached him. Seems like something's bothering you, he said. What's on your mind? You're ripping me off, Haley said. Price was taken aback. Haley is shy. He's not prone to outbursts. But your pay is based on market rates, Price said. If you have different data, please let me know. I have no intention of ripping you off. The data doesn't matter, Haley said. I know your intentions. 
I know your intentions are bad. You brag about how financially disciplined you are, but that just translates into me not making enough money to lead a decent life. Price walked away, shocked and hurt. And for three days, he groused to his family and his friends about the encounter. I felt horrible, he says, like a victim. An entrepreneur, since he was a teen, Price prided himself on treating employees well at Gravity Payments, which he co-founded in 2004 with his brother, Lucas. Three years before, as a 16-year-old high school kid, Dan Price saw bar owners being gouged by big financial firms every time they swiped a patron's credit card. So he built his own solution. By first outsourcing technology and then building his own systems, Gravity Payments offered lower prices and better service and grew rapidly for four years until the Great Recession nearly wiped it out in 2007 and 2008. Traumatized, Price kept a lid on wages even after the economy recovered to save the company, of course. Why can't employees see that? Yet the more people tried to cheer him up about his wage policy, the worse Price felt. Finally, he realized why. Haley was right about him. He was right about not only being underpaid, he was right about his intentions. I was so scarred by the recession, Dan said, that I was proactively and proudly hurting my staff, he says. And that was the moment, that was the beginning that Dan Price took the capital system that we run our economics on and turned them upside down. For three years after his face-off with Haley, Price handed out 20% annual raises. Profit growth continued to substantially outpace wage growth. But it was 2015, just six years ago, in 2015 that Price, the credit card processing company CEO, announced that he would slash his own salary, which was a million dollars annually. He cut it by 90%. 90%. And not only that, he announced plans to bring the salaries of his 130 employees up to a minimum of $70,000 a year. Starting salary at Gravity Payments, seventy dollars a year. Today, it seems Price's decision actually worked really well. On the sixth anniversary of the announcement, Price said on Twitter that Gravity's revenue has tripled in six years. Six years later, our revenue has tripled. More importantly, our staff and company are thriving in the lives they want to live. Price told that to People Magazine in April of this year. He said, we have a 10 times increase in new homes bought and babies being born. Employees have increased savings and they've paid down debt. The kind of greed that Jesus says to guard 
against is the kind of greed that lives out of fear that God will not provide for the future and that when there's a downturn, we need to gather our forces and think about this can never happen again to us. And Jesus says, watch out for that kind of greed. It's the kind of greed that kills Christians and kills churches. And you can see that in the statistics as to how the people of God give to the work of God. God says give generously. There is no math that I know that says 2% or 2.5% of income is generous to the work of God. That's what Christians give in the richest nation in the world where 25 to 32% of all wealth in the world is located. We have bought into the greed that asks, that believes, really, that when God blesses, it's a blessing for us. And churches have bought into that. I know churches, personally, who have sat on half a million, a million or more of actual wealth in a bank account because they're afraid of what will happen. I have been in business meetings and annual meetings where people have said, you know what, if Jesus comes back, I don't think he's going to ask how our bank account's doing. But he's going to ask how we used God's blessings. This isn't in the verses, but I just want to skip ahead and read something that Jesus says at the uh, partway through chapter 12. He says in verse 32, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes in and no moth, no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The reason why Jesus says to watch out for this kind of greed is that it can lead your heart away from God, and you don't know it, and I don't know it. And Jesus says the solution to turning back from that path is a simple one. The question that we must ask and the thing that we must understand is that when God blesses, His financial blessings to you might be meant to go through you. They might be intended not as a blessing for you to enjoy, but for you to be a blessing for someone else to enjoy. I've been waiting a long time to tell that story of Dan Price because Dan Price has been ripped on media. He's been called a socialist. He's been very provocative. He's been very outspoken against the idea of trickle-down economics. And I think Dan may be on to something. How much is too much for me? 
you change that approach to greed. When you realize that God's blessings to you are actually meant to be from you, to go through you, to make a difference in someone else's life. Let's not be fools when it comes to the blessings of God. The first thing we must do when we receive what we did not expect to have, when we receive bonus, when we receive extra, is to ask God, what is it that you want to do? Is this a blessing to me or is it to be a blessing through me? Let me pray for you. Worship team, come on up. Jesus, we are uh, in this moment um, acutely aware of how unaware we are and how easy it is to believe that we deserve this, this is ours, this is for our benefit, this is for us. And Jesus says, watch out, guard against that. Because he does not want our hearts to move away from where you are. You encourage us to make sure that our treasure is where you want it because that's where our hearts will follow. So God, in this moment, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us about how we think of the wealth that we have, the resources that we have, the money that you have given us, the blessings, the financial blessings that we have received. And would you challenge us, Father, to move beyond thinking that they are for us? They might be. But we need your help to know because we do not miss an, want to miss an opportunity where we align with your purpose, where we align with your plan that you might use us to be a blessing. So Lord, would you help us to ask even now in this moment and every time we receive extra to ask you, God, is this a gift? Is this a blessing to us? Or is this a blessing through us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.